Let's bring in the man at hour number one here, Mr. Matt Langle of the Colgate Raiders men's basketball team. Coach, how are you? I'm doing great, Dan. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And, and you and I were talking off the air about this. And, and, you know, in order to speak about this journey with Colgate and whatnot, really dive into it, I want to handle this right off the bat, because I know that, you know, your name is, has come up a lot. And, you know, Syracuse fans were talking about you and, and Temple and, and so on and so forth. How do you handle that? I know we've talked about it, you know, off the air, but on the air, how do you handle when your name comes up and, and, you know, coaching searches are happening and whatnot. And, and you start hearing a lot about Matt Langle and how he would fit here and he'd be good there. How do you, how do you kind of view all of that when you, when you wake up in the morning and maybe you got a couple text messages because of stuff on social media and whatnot? Um, yeah, I, I think there's two things. One, it's flattering. Um, you know, anytime the media and, and folks, and, and it's an interesting time that we're in with everybody having a platform on social media and, uh, and having, you know, their sentiments being able to, you know, be comment, they can make comments or, you know, you know, have conversation on all these platforms. Um, you know, it's flattering because it means that there are folks out there who have recognized or are recognizing all that Colgate basketball has accomplished, um, all that our players have accomplished, the consistency, uh, how it's been built. Um, so, you know, that part of it is flattering. The, the rest of it, though, to be honest with you, Dan, I, I just try and practice what I preach. I mean, yeah. we've been a process-oriented group. Uh, I talk to our guys, our, our coaches talk to our players all the time about, you know, in the world of distractions that can be going on, focus on what you can control. And, and so for me, that's been just being fully invested in, in the present, um, in the circumstances that we're in and what Colgate is trying to do, um, you know, on our campus with our program uh, in recruiting. Uh, and, and the rest of those things will take care of itself. Obviously, it's a profession. It's a livelihood. Um, you know, coaches have representation and, 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 and those, those individuals, I think, oftentimes can be the one who are, are, are worrying about, you know, what's out there and what's going on. But again, I'm, I'm super, super grateful for what we have here, uh, for the support, uh, from the administration, from the community, uh, for the partnership and what we've been able to build. And, and that's where my focus is. So why is Hamilton home now? Why does it fit? Why does it make sense? You and I have spoken about this program many times, but what is it about this community, this school, that just fits you? Um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I think there's a lot of things. Uh, you know, part of the reason I got into coaching uh, was because I identified the significance um, and the impact that my coaches uh, and that those years of my life uh, had on helping me become who I am. And so, you know, I, I, I love the game. I love the X and O's. I love the preparation. I love the competition. Um, but this is, is really on a, on a, you know, 30,000 foot scale level for me about, you know, having the opportunity to be a part of a group and part of a team uh, of young people who are, you know, putting their individual egos aside, hopefully. And, um, you know, not that they're striving for individual, you know, goals and accomplishment and aspiration, um, mm -hmm. to be a part of something bigger than themselves. And so, you know, that, that's what we have here. Uh, and so that's first and foremost. Uh, the second part of it is I have a family. I have three uh, wonderful children, 15, 13, and, and nine. And, you know, um, 
my priority is always taking care of them. And this is an incredible environment to raise a family. I mean, everywhere you turn, you've got great role models, student athletes, students. Um, you know, this is a close knit community, the village of Hamilton. Um, you know, people are out rally around the school, the, the, the school sports, Colgate, Colgate sports. Um, so for my wife and I, we, we enjoy being a part of this community, uh, the opportunities provi it provides, the connections we've made. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of really good stuff here um, that, keep, that that helps make us happy. You know, in, in when you look at the tournament, and we're going to go back on this journey with you from, from start to now. But before we go there, I kind of want to Tarantino the thing and, and start from where we are in the moment. You get seeded this year, a 15 seed. You pull Texas, a two seed, and you get sent out to Des Moines, Iowa. How do you view how the NCAA selection committee has viewed not just Colgate, but the Patriot League and, and other leagues around the country where it, it doesn't seem, and, and this is my opinion, and, and, and obviously, you know, your opinion may be totally different, but why Colgate can't be a 12 seed or a 10 seed or, or a 13 seed or not get sent out to the Midwest in the middle of nowhere? I I feel that there is a level of disrespect for many conferences. And when you break down the numbers of it, if you take the quote unquote power five conferences plus the Big East and just at large bids alone, you can say that there's years where they account for 26 of the 36 at large bids. And then there's 26 conferences fighting for 10 spots. So, you know, there's that side of it. And then there's the seating side of it. And this year has shown that anybody can win. So I would love to get your thoughts on, you know, being a 15 seed, pulling a Texas, getting sent out to the Midwest, because I just I don't find it to be fair in a lot of cases for not just the Patriot League, but many conferences. Yeah, I, I do think, Dan, that I, I have a little bit different of a p opinion than you. I, I think that there's a lot that goes into that from the, the selection committee. These are. Uh, individuals who take great pride in, in being able to serve on the committee and put great time and thought and effort uh, in it, away from their other responsibilities. Like that's not a full-time position. Right. And yeah. so um, I think that, you know, th there, there's a lot of things that go into it. Um, sometimes it's the metrics of everything. You know, we lost to Vermont in a close game. Uh, you know, we had some other, other losses in non-conference. We, we had our chance, you know, like, Look, Florida Atlantic got a pretty good seed um, from, you know, a, a mid, a high mid-major conference uh, as a eight, nine. And they they've taken advantage of it. But they also they also won almost all of their games. Um, and again, back to the concept of focusing on what you can control um, is is what what we try and do. So uh, then when you look at the location, yeah, we've you know, in all four of the NC tournaments, we've been in the Midwest. I, I don't, they, you know, sometimes it's matchups, sometimes it's locations. I know Princeton, the Ivy League is a really highly rated conference this season. Yeah. Uh, they were the champions of the Ivy League. They got shipped to the West Coast, you know, to had to fly all the way to Sacramento as a 15 seed. And, you know, they were able to win two games and move on and play the next weekend. So, you know, I, I don't, you know, there's, it's a great honor to be in the NCAA tournament when you come from a smaller conference and, you know, the reality is we had great success in the Patriot League, but the Patriot League didn't have 
you know, as great a success in the non-conference as we have in other seasons. So that there's a lot of things that, you know, go into 15, 14, you know, 13. I, I think back to when I was a player and I, we may have even gotten as high as an 11 seed, but, you know, we played in Philadelphia and had a chance to play some of the big five teams. And I think on, on that year we beat we beat it. We beat Temple, who was maybe a top 25 team. So, you know, there's a lot of things that, you know, a small margin one way or the other bumps you up or bumps you down. Yeah. And, you know, like you said, it's more about the matchup and the situation. And, you know, we played a great Texas team that, you know, I believe would still be playing if, if one of their really good players, um, you know, hadn't hadn't fallen to to an injury they you know i think they'd have a, a great they shoot they had a great chance to get to the final four even with him being out so you know there it's a fragile margin and it's razor thin and so we we don't really you know there's no there's no spilled milk or 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 crying over uh sour grapes over you know getting in the ncaa tournament you know if you keep doing it and keep at, keep playing your best then you know at some point maybe you'll be able to break through with a win yeah, and and your team has had these incredible efforts against these incredible programs, and and there's there's a history to more than the win loss column, and like you said, breakthrough and get a win. You've been consistent in getting to the NCAA tournament. What positives do you build off of in these games that you have played, where you have caused a scare for a lot of teams that thought maybe they had an easy road out of this round and they're going to move forward and whatnot. Colgate has been no slouch in many different scenarios. So I know they haven't turned into victories and I know coaches say there are no moral victories in a lot of cases, but there has to be positives that you take from in what your program has done in the tournament so far. Um, no doubt about it. I think, you know, this, this season, you know, we ended up losing by 20, I think to Texas, it was how, when I think one of their players said, you know, even though it was a 20 point margin, you know, it certainly felt like eight or nine, um, which is where it was for large portions of the game. Yeah. Um, they played great. They shot great. And so, you know, I've gotten tons of messaging saying, you know, even though the, the final result was significant in some ways, it seemed like you were right there, you know, against just as good of a team as you played in any of the other games. So, yeah, you just it's you were a residue of our experiences. So for the guys who return. You know, and the guys who leave, you know, the Tucker Richardson, Oliver Lynch Daniels, did it, did they, did they get to achieve everything that they wanted? No, but they all, they had some pretty awesome careers uh, and got some great experiences to include the heartache of coming up short yet again. Um, and so for the guys that returning, it's part of, of, of that experience of knowing that moment and that competition and, you know, you know, what it takes and, and, and how hard it is for a guy like Braden Smith who, it's his first NCAA tournament to know how exhausting, you know, that game competing at that level was and, yeah. you know, how hard you have to work on a day-to-day -day basis. So, yeah, there's a ton of things. Um, and our name is out there yet again, you know, is another thing as you're building a program that, um, you know, individuals like you are recognizing the sustained success and the consistency. And so that can only help in recruiting and everything else that you're doing as you're, as you're continuing to build a program. Here with Matt Langle, the Colgate Raiders men's basketball head coach on Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora. You come into the tournament the best three-point shooting team in the nation at 40.7%. Did you expect Texas to be like 90% when they, when they came in? And it was a really interesting game where I think my quote was, Texas was playing Colgate ball in a way. 
Yeah, I, I mean, when you're playing a team like Texas, you're, you know, you're disadvantaged in some ways, meaning they're, they have size and length and athleticism um, at just about every position that is, you know, would be thought of as better than ours. Uh, so you're not going to be able to take away everything that they do. Uh, and so going in, you know, there were some situations where, um, you know, we were going to go under some ball screens and maybe maybe be late to a contested three point shot because we we didn't want them to get, you know, downhill and attack the paint uh, and score some shots that they've scored at a really high percentage. You know, their three point shooting, although, you know, we recognize going in that they have guys who could make them. That wasn't necessarily their their first option. So, um, you know, if you had told me that, you know, you're going to give up 23 three-point shots and they're going to make 13 of them going into the game, I, I would have said, yeah, that's going to be really hard for us to to yeah. overcome. Um, they hadn't done that a lot. They don't do it. They hadn't done – they didn't do it since. Um, and so, you know, that was – that was, you got to tip your cap. They really took advantage of what we were giving them and 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 played great. Vice versa, they, they really worked hard to take away our threes. And so – um, you know, we didn't get a lot of clean looks. We didn't get that many of them. And again, um, you know, we probably didn't make enough of them, but I, I, I think that that was, they really executed their game plan. Um, and, and I thought we did in, in a lot of ways too execute our game plan. They just, they just made us bet. Rodney Terry on the other side of it, before we go back in the history of Colgate here, just your thoughts on what he did. Did you get any time with him? I, I've gotten to speak with you and I've gotten to speak with him over the last couple of weeks a strong man of faith seems like his his players love playing for him and we just found out that he indeed is going to be the long-term coach of Texas so what was the interaction like no just very respectful um you know just before the game and and briefly after the game i think and, and his team played that way i mean they were locked in i i was so impressed not just how they how they executed and and the um and how they produced, but they didn't take one possession off on both ends. They were, they were working like crazy, um, you know, as if it were, you know, a championship caliber game, which I think that's how they were prepared. Uh, it was, they had coming off a great big 12 tournament and, you know, they, they, they were ready to go. And I think that's usually a testament to the coach, to the preparation. Um, they were very much locked in um, and, and focused on the opportunity. So um, with all that they faced this year, the, the leadership that he provided, uh, you know, the togetherness that that group played with was, was, was really impressive. You mentioned, you know, what I loved how you said it, you know, that were the residue of our experiences. And you spoke about, you know, despite the loss, how you you have these experiences, you have this residue that's on you as you move forward with the players that will be coming back. But you also spoke about Tucker Richardson and Oliver Lynch Daniels. To say that they've meant an incredible amount to this program is, is a drastic understatement, but I'd love for you to go a little bit further about Oliver and Tucker and, and their residue that they're going to leave on the program. Sure. Yeah, I mean Oliver. I'll, I'll speak to Oliver first. He he came. He went. You know, he, he he's a young man from um, from North Carolina. Grew up in the Chapel Hill area, uh, a basketball hotbed. Obviously, Tobacco Road. Uh, he chose to go to Oak Hill Academy. Um, you know, at the time, the preeminent 
um, you know, boarding school for basketball in the country, likes of Carmelo Anthony, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and the reason he did that was because basketball was a passion and he wanted to be around the very best that there were. So he didn't play on the top team. He aspired to be a division one player, super student, really smart guy, kid has always done well in school. Uh, went to Houston Baptist. I, I don't want to speak for him, but I think it was his only division one opportunity. He came to our prospect camp, um, you know, we just we, because of some other guys we had in the program, it, it just wasn't going to work out. And after two years at Houston Baptist, he decided that that wasn't for him. And, um, you know, he took a leap of faith in, in coming to Colgate. There were no guarantees. We had, you know, what's proven to be a pretty good team, Jack Ferguson, Jordan Burns, um, you know, Nellie Cummings and some guys that ended up doing really, really well uh, in our program. Uh, there was no guarantees that he was ever even going to see the floor. And all he did was work. Every single day, every single night, just constantly. I mean, I, I think he was in the low 30s three-point shooter uh, in, from his years at Houston Baptist. And he finished the last two seasons, I think, around 50% as the top you know, shooter in, in, in all of college basketball. And so, um, you know, the, 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 what he leaves behind, I think, for me is just, you know, what can happen if you put in the work, um, yeah. you know, which is you're, you're putting in the work by yourself, but it's really – um, the impact it has on the team and for the team. Uh, and so like, he's a, an, an unbelievable man in that space. Uh, Tucker Richardson. I mean, he, he, the best way I can say it, Dan is, um, you know, in addition to everything he's accomplished for NCAA tournaments, rookie of the year, preseason player of the year, defensive player of the year, uh, after the season, defensive player of the year, player of the year, scholar athlete of the year. Um, it all pales in comparison, you know, 1800 points. So I think it's like something ridiculous, like 800 rebounds and, you know, seven or maybe 700 rebounds, 600 to sit like just off the chart statistics. It pales in comparison to, um, how he carries himself every day to the type of leader he is, to the type of person he is, to the type of teammate he is. So, you know, the best thing yeah. I can say about him is anybody that ever coaches, you're, you're volunteering your time, you're a professional, like everybody deserves to coach a guy like him um, because it, it validates what coaching can be um, and, and the joy of being a part of, of a young person's life and their journey. That coming, and I appreciate those words. That coming from Matt Langle, Colgate Raiders men's basketball head coach. I said we would do the Tarantino way about things. So you came into this program 2011-12 for the Colgate Raiders. So we're looking at a decade plus of experiences here. I want to go back to that 2011-12-2011 time and the process for you. The process of where am I going to coach? What's going to be my next step? Why did you choose Colgate then? What was it that enticed you that made you believe that you could build something in Hamilton? So two separate answers to that question. So I was 34 years old. I'd been an assistant coach um, at championship programs, uh, two years at Penn, uh, five years at Temple with Mike and one of my big mentors, uh, Fran Dunphy. And um you know, in those seven years, I think we won six championships, uh, six times in the NCAA tournament. So, you know, I, I started to think about head coaching opportunities. Well, obviously, with my background as a student athlete at an Ivy League school, um, you know, there are certain inst types of institutions of, of higher learning that, that resonate with me. My brother was a Colgate grad. Um, so, you know, I knew the, knew the school a little bit. Um, 
and it's it's really really hard. There's only you know a finite number of these schools uh, in the country uh, that you know are Division One and have have head men's basketball coaches, and so. You know, obviously, my my background was in the Northeast, uh, specific to to academics, and so there's even less of those. Uh, and so, you know, through the interviewing process, I identified that the Patriot League was one that I thought was pretty balanced in in competition, and um, that you know a bunch of different schools had an opportunity to win. Uh, not tons of history and tradition here at Colgate. Obviously, the Adana four years went. Uh, exceptionally well, but I just thought that, you know, by doing things the right way with what I had learned that, you know, we could build something and, you know, it wasn't going to be overnight and, and it wasn't, but, you know, just step by step and finding good players and the right players for Colgate with the value of academics at this institution and what sports has meant, whether it was the, the history and tradition of the football program or, you know, some of the successes of other sports that, that, you know, we could get competitive. And same as I said about the NCAA tournament, if you're competitive enough for long enough, then you can break through and, and have a chance to, to have those championship experiences. And you, you talked about the fact that before you came to Colgate, you were an assistant at Penn as well as at, at Temple and went to the NCAA tournament. And you mentioned Fran Dunphy. I would love to dive into that part of your world, Penn and Temple, and, and how that took a, a young Matt Langle and molded you to what you are today. And, and because you mentioned Fran Dunphy specifically, I'd love to know the effect that, that he had. Uh, yeah, I don't know anything else, um, but I, I also know how great he is. Uh, the perspective that he teaches, the values he instills, how he gets his teams to uh, play hard, play together, share responsibility. Uh, I mean, if you look back at all of his teams, you know, whether it's Penn or Temple or now LaSalle, uh, it's, it's never about the individual. It's always about the group. And, um, you know, again, the life lessons that, that he teaches, um, the consistency in his way, uh, you know, I, I could go on and on Dan for hours, but, um, you know, there's, he, he's an icon, he's a legend, you know, if he took a different approach, um, you know, and was one of those individuals who, who spotlighted himself a little bit more or, or allowed more people to pay attention to everything that he's done, um, there'd be more people who, who would recognize and value, and, um, you know, and say that he's a hall of fame type individual, but because he always downplays what he's accomplished and what he's done. You know, I don't even think he'd get us up on the ladder, you know, when every coach is up there twir twirling the net around, you know, you know, even when we begged and implored, I don't think he would even get up on the ladder uh, to, to cut down the nets. That's how that's how much uh, he wants to make it not about. Him. So, yeah, just so many different ways in the game um, in life that he's he's impacted me and so many others, uh, you know, to this day, I still you know, use him as as a resource and, and any time where. Um, you know, doing anything of, of significance or you're faced with hard decisions. Uh, I think he's, he's always got great, great um, life experience and perspective to, to offer. So like you said, you know, you go to him when you need that advice. Is there someone else or, or a few people that are kind of in that small group? Because I've spoken with coaches before about what's the phone call, you know, that you make and, and some coaches have, 
you know, a few people that they kind of just bounce ideas off of and whatnot. So you have Fran Dunphy. Is is there someone else that you would call when it came to a crossroads in your career or going into the tournament or something that you're looking at or an angle on something? Do you have other mentors out there or peers out there that you like to pick the brain of during the season or even after the season? Um, I'm really grounded with my family. So, you know, my wife, my, my, my parents are really, really uh, proud of all that they've been, the support that they've been. They, they get here to watch our team. So um, my children, to be honest with you, so really grounded, you know, in all of those, you know, in those great times and in those challenging times to have their support and perspective because they know me the best. Um, obviously in specific to basketball in the industry, you, you have friends, um, and people you've known for some time that, you know, maybe they're, they're other head coaches or they're not yet head coaches, you know, different people that you've worked with, uh, along the way, uh, different people that you've worked with here at Colgate, uh, that you stay in communication with. And I think this industry probably like most, but, you know, we're, we're constantly stealing from others. And I, I mean that in the most complimentary way, like you're sharing ideas and, you know, there's not a lot of secrets, um, and so you're just trying to 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 grow and be the best version. So, uh, yeah, there's there are people, but it's a lot of different people, and and nobody specific that that really sticks out there. Yeah. Coming here from Matt Langle, head coach of the Colgate Raiders men's basketball team, coming off of another trip to the NCAA tournament. Matt, before I let you go here, we have seen the recent consistent runs to the NCAA tournament, but you as a coach, you see things that nobody sees. You're going through stuff in the background behind the scenes that is just your eyes. When did this program, like you said, there was some things in history, but not a lot of things to that had, you know, been consistent success or, or maybe made an identity yet for Colgate. So when did this identity truly start to become what it is today when was the crossroad the turning point in your opinion through your eyes it's a it's a really good question dan and i actually i'm i'm trying to grab some some statistics here just to make sure um that i'm identifying you know sometimes the years all all blend together um you know I, i think I think it was in year year three and year four. Um, you know, we we couldn't quite get over the hump, but we had built we had the right foundation. Um, we had kind of gotten a group together. They had kind of grown old together. Yeah. Um, two of those guys, Pat Moore and Damon Sherman Newsom, are are on the coaching staff now. Uh, we got to second place. It was. Uh, you know, the, the 2014, 2015 season, um, you know, finished in second place. Bucknell, I think was first place. We were literally like, I remember it, you know, you, you forget a lot of stuff, but I remember <laughs> there's a, a left-handed player from American who was on the line. Um, we had played a two o'clock game and they, you know, their game was running about a little bit late. We were watching it on the, on the streaming certain ser- uh, service, if, if he had made that foul shot, we would have been tied for first place in the regular season. Um, and so I, I felt like in those two years, we were awfully close. And again, going back, what I said about the NCAA tournament, what I said about our program now, like 
if you're process-based, the goal is to compete for championships. And if you do that frequently enough, you're going to win. So we were kind of right there. We lost a lot of close games in both of those years. I think both of those teams had losing records. Um, but we were like top 200, um, you know, analytic ratings. And our offense was was in a good place. And um, we just didn't get over the hump to, you know, we got upset in the semifinals at home against that a good American team. And, you know, then we took a couple steps backwards because we graduated those old guys and had some younger guys. That, that doesn't mean that the culture wasn't in place. I think in a lot of landscapes in today's day and age where everything is so result driven that, you know, maybe they would have made a coaching change and our, our institution, our leadership didn't. They recognized what we were doing, how we were doing it. Um, and so, you know, I think it was kind of in those two years, even though we were still a few years away from winning our first championship. Uh, and getting to the championship game that I that I recognize, okay, we're we're on the right path. We just need to to stay there and keep working and keep growing. And 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 you know, uh, as this group gets old, maybe we'll get back to that situation and try to find the right piece, the right the right buttons to push. And um, and and it's worked out. So you talk about that, you know, you know, year three, year four, and here we are over a decade later with the success of this program. And I've said it before, but I want to be clear about this. You have made it to the NCAA tournament in four of the last five years. The only year that you didn't in the last five years was COVID. So it's it's like, it's 100%. For the opportunities that you have, it's been 100% for the last four years that there was an NCAA tournament. So, I, I mean, I think, you know, 40.7% from three going into the NCAA ch- tournament, leading the country, not bad, but 100% of the time of the last four years making it to the NCAA tournament outside of the COVID year. I, I mean, that is that is building something incredible. So, we, you know, I asked you where the turning point was, where that moment was that you really felt like things were going in the right direction. But there's a difference between success and consistent success. You have built consistent success. How do you do it, especially in a world with the transfer portal where you might bring in a guy that not a lot of people looked at, didn't have a lot of offers, not a lot of respect, maybe didn't go to the right prep school or this, that, or whatever, and they you know, they play two years at Colgate, and Texas comes looking, and Kansas comes looking, and maybe Syracuse comes looking, and Indiana and whatnot. You, you've built success, but consistent success at a time period where NIL and transfer portal is, is wreaking havoc on a lot of programs. How do you build consistent success in general? And how do you do it when there's college basketball free agency? It, it starts with the people. We've had incredible coaches who pour themselves into their work and into our guys. Um, and, and then we've had student athletes who very much value what we are. And when I say we like what their education at Colgate is and what that means for the rest of their life, um, what our program is, how close they are as a group um, with one another. Um, You know, Nellie Cummings could have left two years ago, uh, but he chose to come back. Jack Ferguson, same thing uh, with his COVID year. Tucker Richardson and Oliver Lynch Daniels did it this past season. So, um, you know, that speaks to them as individuals. Obviously, there's a lot of work by the guys and the, and the staff and the support group at Colgate um, to create a situation that, that they want to be in, that they take pride in, that they're 
you know, thinking about their legacy and their opportunity to get back to the NCAA tournament and, and continue to, to, you know, achieve what they have. Um, but, you know, it, it's, it's them. It's the individuals who value, like what you said, instead of, you know, think, thinking the grass is greener somewhere else, they, they recognize what they have, how special it is, um, what it means to their life, um, you know, that that this place and their teammates and their coaches have helped them get to these positions and have these successes and um, and they want to they want to um, have it have take advantage of it for as long as they possibly can. Couple final pieces. Uh, when you recruit now, as a coach, are you transfer portal prep high school looking at everything? Because some schools are transfer portal driven now. Some of them are you know, not really looking at the transfer portal as much. Some of them are 50-50. How do you recruit now? Has it has it changed you, adjusted you? What has it done? I mean, we're, we're always trying to evaluate not what other people are doing, but be aware of what others are doing, um, you know, and, and but do what's best for us. Uh, you know, transfers have been an important part of, of our program. If you look back over the history, Jordan Swapshire, Ethan Jacobs, Austin Tilts. I mean, the, the list is – is long before the you know the current batch of Oliver Lynch Daniels, uh, Nellie Cummings, uh, but the transfer world has changed in that there's no more year in residence, and so how that impacts us and our school and transferable credits, you know, we we've got to evaluate all that as we uh, as we move forward. You know, prep school has been good to us guys taking an extra year of of development uh, before they get their four years uh, in the Patriot League. Keegan records. Uh, Ryan Moffitt, uh, Tucker Richardson, just, you know, to name a few. So, yeah, and the brand is national. I mean, Braden Smith had a great freshman year. He's from Seattle, Washington. This, that's not around the corner. Um, <laughs> yeah. But, you know, Colgate resonates. He went to a really good high school uh, that recognized the value of, of Colgate. Obviously, he's he loves getting, he loves hoops and, and the success that the program and some of the players had had before as small guards resonated with him. So yeah, just looking everywhere uh, and, and, you know, trying to turn over every stone and, and find the right guys for Colgate again, never compromising those things that I, I shared before those characteristics and those traits that uh, have made, made our, our team special. So final piece is a little fun. I don't know if you've ever been asked this before, but how would you describe yourself on the sideline? Every coach has a sideline personality. They have the way that they deal with the refs. They have how far they go out onto the court and how far they come and, you know, maybe drink some water off the bench of the other team. So how would you describe the radius of Matt Langle and the attitude of Matt Langle on the sideline? Yeah, my, my thought on that is I need to do what's best for our team. Um, that like the, certainly I, I've gotten one technical foul in my my 12 years, and, and I felt terrible about it because I that means I I gave up some points in that game, and I've never scored any points. Um, and so like that, you know, like joking a little bit. That's kind of my thought on the process. I, I need to keep a demeanor that's going to help me help the team. So if I'm like in a maniacal state and yelling at the referees and you know, running all around and, and jumping up and down, then I, I don't know if I'm evaluating the game and watching the game um, to, to help our guys, you know, figure out what's going to work on offense and some of the adjustments we, we need to make. So 
uh, with that being said, there are certain times where, you know, the team needs a little fire and needs a little pick me up and needs a little boost of energy. And so whether that's, you know, trying to incite the crowd or, or, you know, implore them to give a little bit more or run a little bit harder or, um, you know, you know, affect the game in, in that capacity, then I need to do that. But I, I try and stay in the present, um, not worry about what just happened or a call or a foul or, you know, a missed opportunity or even a mistake by our guys. You know, there's times to try and, and correct those in timeouts and, and talk about it. But certainly in game, just trying to stay present and stay focused on what I can do um, to help the guys, um, you know, find the result that they want. And the last piece of that NCAA tournament, there's something to it. There's something to the experience of it, to sitting at the dais and be able to have that NCAA logo behind you while you have these conversations. What has it done for you personally and for your family and the excitement that comes from the fact that you're one of 68 schools out of 360 plus that gets to sit at that table? Yeah, I've been able to... um be a part of the NCAA tournament now I I think 12 years if if my math is is correct um and it is incredible it's incredible for everybody most importantly the players like it is such a special experience to know that you know everybody sets out for this not just on this given year but since the time you're a little boy like that you're watching it, like my boys are watching it on TV. So all of those years, and now you get to be a part of it. Um, and so every single aspect of it is, is just extraordinary. It's, there aren't words to explain um, what it is, the emotion um, of being a part of it as a player. But it's not just a player. It's the families of the coaches. It's the people of the institution. It's the alumni. It's the community. I mean, I was just watching uh, Coach McDermott, uh, his postgame speech that's gone a little viral with the, the Creighton men. Like, you know, the, the, the folks who care about Colgate, wherever they are, they stop what they're doing and watch Colgate basketball. And it, it gives them, it affects their emotion. It gives them a sense of pride, uh, a sense of connection with other alumni. And like, that's just, it's just special. I don't know how else to say it. Um, and so, you know, it's something that I will never take for granted uh, because, you know, as consistently we've been, you never know when that next chance is going to take you. You talked about how hard it is for small conferences and, mid-major programs to even even get a chance to have that experience one time. And so, um, you know, it's something that we take a lot of pride in and, and certainly never take for granted. Colgate Raiders head coach, Matt Langle. Matt, as always, I appreciate you. I'm sure you're used to on these interviews when they pop you in, they give you like two minutes. I don't do that here. We give Colgate a giant spotlight because you deserve it. So thank you for your time as always. And, and, for being so candid and so open with me in so many ways. I love telling Colgate's story and, and I'm so happy that you're in our community. So thank you for all you do. And, and I look forward to talking with you soon. Thanks, Dan. Stay well. All right. You too. At coming here from Matt Langle. Take care. At coming from Matt Langle here on the broadcast on wake up call with Dan Tortora sports truly meets that thing called life. And you know, that's what we're about here. We are about that. We're about not only giving a voice to Colgate, which deserves, I don't, and I, I, and it's, it's tough for me to say, you know, a voice to the voiceless because they have a voice, but it's not always, it's not, it's not always getting that spotlight, right? 
the Princetons don't get the spotlight if they don't win. And, you know, Colgate doesn't get that spotlight unless they win. And in a lot of cases, that happens. <clears throat> and it's not fair. You know, Mitch Henderson of Princeton should have the opportunity to get the spotlight. Matt Langle of Colgate should have the opportunity to get the spotlight. Tobin Anderson, FDU, should have the opportunity to get the spotlight. You know, even Coach McDermott that he brought up from, from Creighton. I mean, Creighton's in the Big East. And I feel like there's still some people that don't know that. You know, and and so it's it's great to see these programs win. And when you win, and these coaches know this, and the players know that, when you win, people show up. When you win, everybody wants to interview you. But it's it's when you don't win or you're building, like he said, year three, year four, where we were almost there, but it doesn't show up in maybe the win-loss column or how we ended the season. Telling the story of the journey has always meant more to me than telling the story that everyone wants to tell. When you win, the room is full. And I had a coach tell me this a while ago. They said, yeah, now that we're winning, you know, there's like 20 people want to interview me and I'm not going to turn them down because, you know, you're not going to turn down free publicity. But, you know, she said, you've been with me for all this time. You've been with me for years. She said, I'll do the interviews with them, but you can come sit in my office whenever you want to. And you have my cell phone number and you can call me. So, you know, I, I value that. I value that and I value those experiences. And I bring that up because it's a personal thing to me that Princeton, Colgate, FDU, St. Bonaventure, you know, that 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 these schools, FAU, I mean, they're in Conference USA, they're going to be in the American. How much respect did they have coming into the tournament? So, you know, it, it's it, it it's it's so important to me. And, and so I guess music plays in the studio. Sometimes I got a good feeling about this was what was playing. So thank you, God, for that, for that pleasant humor. Uh, so I do have a good feeling about Colgate. So, uh, but yeah, but I, I think that I have no idea whose song that is at all. But, you know, I, I do, I do believe that when you see potential and you see strength and you see people working. I mean, that's it. When people work hard and do things for the right reasons and they have morality and values and togetherness and teamwork and, you know, faith and hope and love and joy, and they have fun with each other. Yeah. I want to cover those teams when they're eight and 14 and, and when they're 25 and all. Yeah. Greg, how timely was that? Maybe that's the annoying moment. I mean, I, is it the annoying moment of the week? That was, it was perfect. I got a good feeling about this. Now I'm going to look up that song. That song just shamelessly plugged itself on Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora. And it was perfect because I'm talking about the good feeling I have about these programs. I got a good feeling about this started playing in the studio. YouTube, Facebook, don't be coming at me for copyrights because I did not play that on purpose. <laughs> so, so, yeah, but... but uh, Oh, life is funny, but you know, it, it, it's so rewarding to see people like Matt Langle win and to see places like Colgate win and Hamilton, New York win. And these alumni win. And why is it cool? Because, you know, it's in upstate New York. 
and and it, it's just different. And and I don't, you know, maybe if you're not from upstate, maybe you maybe you don't get it. Maybe you don't feel the same way. But they're, you know, when St. Bonnie's wins and and when Colgate wins and Cornell wins and Binghamton wins, it feels different. And it's it's really like its own special thing. And to see the consistency of Matt's program, they've made it to the NCAA tournament 100% of the time in the last five years when there was a tournament. They've made four of the last five years. The only year they didn't make it, it's not because they didn't make it, it's because COVID happened. So they made the tournament 100% of the time in the last four years. They're blue blood programs that can't say that stuff. And there's, there's, there's programs out of history that can't say Michigan wasn't in the tournament this year. You know, so think about that. Colgate's consistent in a way that goes beyond some teams that are Big 12, Pac-12, ACC, SEC, you know, and, and Big 10 and whatnot. I mean, maybe not the Big 10 since they led almost the entire conference in the tournament. But it's <laughs> – and I and again, I, for I'm not a Big Ten hater. I am a do not give an advantage to a conference, especially. I mean, they didn't. What did they work for it? You know what I mean? Did the Big Ten with 13 losses? Did those teams really earn a bid in the NCAA tournament, or did they get a bid because they're in the Big Ten? If they weren't in the Big Ten, would they be in? That's the question. My answer: Probably not. Probably not. And and I fight for the fact that there's other teams around the country that deserve an at-large bid and could wreak some havoc. So think about it like this. If Mary Mack wasn't going through the four-year move from Division Two to Division One, where they're not allowed to play in the NCAA tournament, which is a stupid rule and should, needs to be changed, when think about this. If Mary Mack was not under that four-year purgatory, they would have made the tournament and fairly Dickinson wouldn't. And then we wouldn't have had the second 16 seed in the history of the tournament win. It would have never happened. Fairly Dickinson would have never made the tournament. So, you know, to me, that sticks out. Like that is a prime example. And you might say, well, Dan, that's a fluke. No, it's not. Tobin Anderson's a good coach. Fairly Dickinson had an awesome players who banded together, who believed in something that a lot of people didn't believe in. You know, belief without evidence, right? They didn't have evidence that they were going to do it. They went into that game with teams going up against the, you know, the record was 150 wins for the one seed and one win for a 16 seed, UMBC against Virginia a few years back. There was no evidence, but there was belief. There was faith. There was passion. There was fun. There was desire. There was want to. There was coaching. There was recruiting. There was scheming, identifying, adjusting, evolving. And they won. They would have never gotten in the tournament because the NEC wasn't going to get two seeds in the tournament. So. You know, yeah, I'm going to fight for these programs like Colgate because somebody needs to fight. Everybody wants to interview him when he wins. Everybody wants to talk to Matt Langle at the end of the season when they win the Patriot League and they go to the NCAA tournament. But are you talking to Matt Langle eight games in at the beginning of the season? You know, are are you following up with him 15 games in, 20 games in? Are you talking with him about year three, year four when he saw the turning point? when it wasn't visible to the naked eye. 
those are the stories that I want to tell because Rome was not built in a day. And everybody comes to you when you find the diamond in the rough. But how many people are with you digging through the rough to find the diamond for five years <laughs> until you actually think you might have saw a glimmer of a diamond? So telling Colgate's story, it's fun for me. I love it. And I want to thank Jordan Doroshenko and, and Matt Langle and everybody past, present, and future at Colgate that's given me the opportunity to have this. And like I said to Matt, when you come on Wake Up Call, you're not a you're not two minutes. Hey, coach, it must be fun to be in the tournament. No, it's hey, coach, tell us a story, give us a time capsule of Colgate, something that can live on forever, and that true fans can come back to, and really get to know you, your program, and your why. So, I love it. We just spent an entire hour on Colgate. Tell me how many other broadcasts are going to do that. But we will. Because I want to. And because they deserve it. And the fact that Matt Langle is still at Colgate, building for the future of Colgate in 2023, that's great for Colgate. It says a lot about the administration. It says a lot about the university. It says a lot about the community. And how they not only treat Matt, but how they treat Matt's family, his kids, and his wife. and that goes a long way because I'm not a head coach, but being around as many head coaches as I've been and, and building a lot of friendships over almost two decades now, I would say that your family life, your kids' happiness, your spouse's happiness, the response of the community and the treatment by the community, you're in Hamilton, New York. It snows. It gets cold. You know, it's it's not a giant city. And that, for some people, can affect you. But the, to the people that really, and this is how you know that Matt Langle is different. When you're in a small town and you don't have those big city lights and amusement parks and all this stuff to go to and, and, and this, that, and whatever, when you don't have the New York City, the Orlando, the Los Angeles, the Houston, the Charlotte, and so on and so forth. That, when, you, when you're there, you're there. And I'm not saying a coach that's coaching in any of those places aren't, aren't there to be specifically at this school. But you got to think about a school like Colgate. When you're in Colgate, you're in Colgate. You're there to be with Colgate, right? And his passion of over a decade in his love and his work ethic and desire to build the brand of Colgate. He's always going to be remembered for that. No matter what happens down the road. You know, it's, it speaks volumes to him and what matters to him. Because if you're a head coach right now, and you could go to a bunch of different places. There's a lot of things that go into it. Some coaches are like, ah, I want to be by the beach, right? Oh, if I coach in Orlando, I can go to Disney all the time. I go to Universal, you know. If I'm in Texas, ooh, I get that barbecue. If I go to Tennessee, I get that style of barbecue. If I go to Nevada, I'm by Vegas. 
you know, when you're in Hamilton, New York, and you're in this community, you're maybe maybe the the biggest light or 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 definitely one of the biggest lights is Colgate. You are the skyscraper of Hamilton, New York. So instead of going to a place where you're around a bunch of skyscrapers, you're going to a place where you are the skyscraper and you're building it. That's got to be a really cool experience. And I'm so happy that Matt shared that experience with us here today. It means a lot to me. So I always appreciate his time. And I hope you did too. 